0: You're listening to the sermon audio from The Shore Church, located in North Vancouver. For more information about The Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Well, good morning, Shore. This is Jar. I'm in my basement. Uh, the recording didn't work fully this morning, just the first couple minutes. And so you're going to get me in the first couple minutes here in my basement, and then I'll jump into uh, this morning over at LGCA, Lionsgate Christian Academy, where we meet regularly. So uh bear with me. Um this is one of those ones I want to re-record the start anyways because of the text because of Hebrews chapter six verses four through eight. This is where we are this morning. If you've clicked on here and you're visited to the shore, welcome. So great to have you. Uh this is one of those hard, hard texts of scripture that many gets many stumble over. And so we want to read the text. I'm gonna pray and then we'll jump in and then they'll bounce over to our regular Recording over at the gym, and so uh, bear with me. So here's Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. Let me read it for us. It says, For it is impossible, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. This is the Word of God. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into this text. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, what you have done for us. We thank you that uh, your Word is here for us, for, for teaching, and it is profitable, that we might be able to learn and understand and grow in maturity, as we even talked about last week in Hebrews chapter 6, the start anyways. And so I pray now as we enter into this hard text of scripture that you might enlighten us through your Holy Spirit, soften our hearts to what you are saying, that we might not harden towards you, but that we actually might surrender to you and believe upon Jesus for our salvation. And so I pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Well, Here's what a few authors have said about this text of Scripture. These verses are some of the most difficult verses in the entire New Testament. That's one author. Another author said this, Many consider this text the most terrifying warning in the New Testament that there could be no second beginning. No second beginning. See, many before us, and still many today, come to this text of Scripture and believe that you can lose your salvation. This is why many proclaim this is a difficult text. And if you are one of those, let me ease your mind. If you believe and confess Jesus is Lord and Savior from the depths of your heart, you are saved eternally. Eternally. Romans chapter 8 verse 38 and 39 says, No one, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Also in John chapter 5 verse 24, this is where our video is going to jump back into the gym. I'll read the whole text and you're going to get the back end of it as well. But it says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, hears the Father's word and believes in Jesus in sorry, who, in God who sent me. So let me start this again. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, and this is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in God the Father who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. him, God the Father who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And there are many, many more passages proclaiming that salvation is eternal and cannot be taken from you. And an equal, if not greater encouragement, An assurance of our salvation is the fact that it is impossible for God to lie. Impossible for God to lie. And you've seen the word impossible already in our text in verse 4, for it is impossible, it says. And the author in this book of Hebrews actually uses this word four times, starting here in our text in verse 4, but he again says it in verse 18 in chapter 6. He says, "...so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie..." We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast. To hold fast to the hope set before us. And we'll cover that in a couple weeks. But this hope is in Christ. To hope in Christ. To hold fast to the hope of Jesus. And then again in chapter 10 verse 4 it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We've already discovered this, right? Through the, all the way through the first five chapters, that it is Jesus who is our sacrificial lamb, not bulls and goats. We don't put our hope in something of this world. We put our hope in Jesus. In verse eleven, verse six, or chapter eleven, verse six, it says, "And without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please Jesus. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that Jesus exists." and that he rewards those who seek him. So all four uses of impossible are pointing to the hope, to the hope found in Jesus, the idea that we are called to persevere in our faith. And if you would hold on to one thing, one thing alone this morning, is that we are called for perseverance, to persevere in the faith, to hope in Jesus. And again, an equal if not more powerful assurance of your salvation, is the fact that it is impossible for God to lie. So if we were able to lose our salvation, if that were to be true, then God would have to withdraw His Spirit, cancel the deposit, break His promise, revoke the guarantee, keep the inheritance, forego the praise, and lessen His glory. He would be a deceiver. He would deceive. He would be a liar. He would be one that you could not put your trust in. If you could lose your salvation. So to be crystal clear this morning, the Shore Church, we believe that when you are saved, you are eternally saved. Eternally saved. Because when you are saved, you persevere. You are eternally saved. And you know that you're eternally saved because you persevere in the faith. So if you cannot lose your salvation, then who is this author referring to in this text? This text that has caused many to stumble. Well, this is the question that we must answer, and I, along with many others before me, would argue that the people mentioned in the text are, not, are those that have not been saved. They have merely tasted what the Holy Spirit offers. They have had many powerful experiences, seen powerful movements of God, even felt Jesus at work, but are not saved. This is who the author is talking and referring to. And I believe that this is one of the hardest texts in Scripture because it is unpacking the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I want to argue that point through this sermon, The Unforgivable sin. We actually see this in Matthew twelve thirty one. this unforgivable sin. It says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. In other words, the opportunity for repentance will be impossible. Impossible, just as the text says. And I'd also argue that we have heard this passage told to us already, just in a little bit of a different way. If you flip in your Bibles back to Hebrews chapter 3, you'll see it on the text or on the screen here in verse 7 through 11 it says this. And this is a, again a quote from Psalm 95. So this is going back thousands of years. Therefore as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not do not. That is a strong encouragement. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. This is referring back to the Exodus story. Israel leaving Egypt. Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works. They saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Remember, God is not a liar. It is impossible for him to to lie, so therefore they shall not enter my rest, is a strong statement. They ignored, you can see the highlights there, they ignored listening and hearing from God, the Holy Spirit, His works, His ways, and they hardened their hearts in it. If you flip down even just a little bit further in that same chapter, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16 to 19, it says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? See, the author doubling down on this warning. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief. Not listening, not hearing, not seeing the ways, seeing his works, but yet disobeying it, unbelief, not believing the Holy Spirit's work and action. So like I said, many have come to this Hebrew 6 text and stumbled, but let me remind you, this is a rebuke, and exhortation, one that we shouldn't actually stumble over, but be greatly encouraged in greatly encouraged in and it must move us as we prayed at 9 15 and again here this morning here at 10 and then continue lo- continually we'll be praying through the week that we will be ones that won't stumble but that we will encourage one another to move forward move towards like last week move towards maturity move to a greater understanding of the beauty of jesus christ so it is not to be stumbled over but to actually persevere in the faith To move forward in our understanding of Jesus and His amazing grace. To remember, like last week, that it is Jesus' work. It's Jesus' work. It's Jesus' faith in Jesus that saves us. It is the work that Jesus has done through His life, death, and resurrection through the waters of baptism. It is Jesus that cleanses us. He is the true Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb that saves us, that we just sang over. The one that paid our debt in full. Jesus is this the, resurrection that brings us life. It is hope in Him that He takes the judgment that we deserve to pay for. It is all Jesus, always will be about Jesus. And that's who we need to be surrendering to and persevering towards. And the warning this morning is don't ignore the Holy Spirit's promptings towards Jesus. For you might fall to a place where it is impossible to repent. So with that, let us consider what this passage says and make sure we listen, surrender to Jesus, confess our sin towards Christ, and receive the amazing blessings of Jesus Christ and abide in Him. May we do this. So our little name this morning is on the screen. It says impossible repentance. Then it's got three sub-points. Five rejections of the Holy Spirit... Contempt towards Jesus. The third is desire to crucify the Lord again. And then the second point is faith and works must connect. Faith and works must connect. So let's take a look at number one. As hard as it is to hear, this is what this short text is saying, that there is a time when repentance is impossible. And you can see it on the screen there in in the text again. You can see, if you read in between, if you take away the list of things that were given there in that text and just read, for it is impossible to restore them again to repentance, you begin to see what this author is starting to talk about. See, the explanation is in between the highlighted sections. And if we read this slowly, we begin to see what the author is getting at. He's telling us that it is impossible to restore them again. A certain people to repentance. So who are the certain people? But before we get into there, let's take a look at that A, that first subpoint: five rejections of the Holy Spirit. You can see them on the screen listed for you. And it's also just straight out of your text. I've even used the same language. Once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God, tasted the powers of the age to come. Now, let me give you the explanation of these five and then show you some portions of Scripture that we can actually see these in that plain throughout. And so when we start reading through our Bibles, you're going to see things all throughout the text of Scripture. Jesus is trying to make us aware of these things over and over again, saying them in different ways and in different times and so that we might be able to hear and listen to it. So the first one, once been enlightened. What does this mean? Well, these individuals have been enlightened by the teachings of Jesus' word. They have heard it. They maybe even understand it. They can even teach it and proclaim it. And in some cases, lead others towards it. One of my my mentors uh, is a pastor. He doesn't even know me at all, actually, but he's a mentor of mine. He's been mentoring me since I was in high school. He has no idea. He actually mentored my grandfather, who was a pastor as well. And this mentor is still preaching today. I used to, in high school, listen to tape cassettes. And looking at the age of everybody here except a couple, know what a tape cassette is. All right? So you put it in the tape. Many, I don't have to explain it. But there's a whole sermon series on tape cassettes that I would listen to in my car over and over again. And he was preaching on apostasy which is knowing the truth but denying it, running away from the truth. And he was focusing on this Hebrew 6 text. So I've been listening to this Hebrew 6 text since I was in high school, and I battled with it growing up, reading and coming to Hebrew 6 and reading through it and going, can I lose my salvation here? I remember thinking that in my teens. And I'm listening to this sermon series over and over again from this mentor of mine. And he says one story that just blew my mind. He's telling the story of getting his Masters of Divinity in his school. And he was sitting there as a student in his 19, 20-year-old body. And he's got these five amazing men that were teaching him and leading him towards adulthood and to be a pastor, to to receive his Masters of Divinity. And these five guys were, were, were pushing on him and his doctrine and his understanding of the Bible. And he tells this story, and years later he finds out that one of the men that were on that panel projecting at him fell away. Walks now in contempt towards Christ. Put away everything that he believed on, and now goes against it. The very man that taught him, led him towards pastoral ministry, this is the apostasy, this is the apostate, this is the once been enlightened individual that the scripture is calling to and maybe even in your lives you can look back at your at stories around people and see and remember some of these people that you've come across. I think in the scripture Judas would probably be one that falls into this category Once been enlightened, walked with Jesus for three years, was called one of his disciples, and then kisses him on the cheek for 30 pieces of silver. The second on the list there in this amazing text is tasted the heavenly gift. John Owen, a pastor and theologian in the 16, around 1616, I think he was born, says this, when compared to spiritual eating and drinking, tasting is small. But in itself, it denotes an experience of the excellency of the gospel given by the Spirit. This is great privilege, and to express contempt for it would be an unimaginable sin, leaving apostate without remedy. An apostate, again, is knowing the truth and denying it. So others would say this would be Tasting the Holy Spirit, but never committing to faith. The example of this could be the campfire experience at maybe a Bible camp when you're a teenager, or on a Sunday school, Sunday morning, or at a conference—an emotional experience, but without change. Tasting the gift, seeing it in action, experiencing it in great detail, but not allowing change to take place and the story that came to mind in the in the in the scripture is in acts 2 um, peter before this denies jesus 3 times before jesus hangs on the cross denies him 3 times is freaked out is scared when jesus is in the grave in the tomb him and the other disciples are hiding because they're fearful of their life and then something miraculous takes place jesus rises from the dead and those same men that were hiding in Privacy, trying to escape from this persecution, started standing up on the street corners and preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. It doesn't make sense. And this one time in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching and all the men, all the people in the, in the area that he's preaching to, all heard in their own language multiple languages and they're like how how is he speaking in my own tongue and they all started talking he's speaking in my tongue no he's speaking in my tongue and he's proclaiming the goodness of Jesus and then there's some at the end of that story go ah he's probably just drunk he's probably just drunk there are ones that have tasted the heavenly gift and denied it Third on the list is shared in the Holy Spirit. To share in the Holy Spirit would be to benefit in His work, to be filled and gifted with spiritual gifts for the uplifting of the church. This would be the pastor, the professor at Bible school, which I mentioned, or the Sunday school teacher training others, but then throwing all that he once believed away for a different belief system. Again, showing contempt from what they once held to be true, to now slander the church, those they called family, and ultimately slandering Jesus. The fourth would be tasted the goodness of the Word of God. These are those that might recognize the Word of God is different. They recognize there's something about this Bible. I just can't put my finger on it. They enjoy the stories. They see that it has wisdom for life, but never surrender to the mystery of the gospel that it proclaims. They never surrender to Jesus as the Word, as God, as the one and only Savior and Redeemer for them. They recognize that it is that story, but not for them. They have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, but yet never surrendered to it. The fifth has tasted the powers of the age to come. These are those that have experienced the miraculous. The miraculous. They have witnessed the works of God, the ways of God but yet still ignore what they had seen or heard again Hebrews 3 reveals to us all those that walked for 40 years with God they walked with God they saw the pillar of cloud during the day following this pillar of cloud through the desert and then at night time it would turn into a pillar of fire and they're following it and they're along the way eating manna that is given to them every single morning and they're told not to collect more for the next day, and it just shows up the next day again, to, for them to be sustained through the desert. And they see they drink from a rock. They see the walls of Jericho. Think about this: if you've ever thought about Jericho, was known as a city that was like almost a, a perfect circle. And they see the walls of Jericho implode inwards. That doesn't make sense. And all they did was yell and blow a trumpet. They saw the works, they tasted the beauty and the, of the age to come that Jesus would reign, that God would reign, that he would rule over all things. They saw the Red Sea and their whole, all their captives drowned in the Red Sea and they still denied him. They still chose to worship other gods. They walked in rebellion, worshiping the false God. See, I've shared some portions of Scripture where these take place, these things, these five categories of rejecting the Holy Spirit's promptings in one's heart. There's another in Matthew chapter 13 when Jesus lays out a parable, and maybe some of you, if you've been around church for a long time, you know the parable of the soils. There's four soils. The first soil representing the hard heart. The second representing the shallow heart. It produces life. Like, the seed is... Somewhat, It seems like it's implanted in the soil and it produces life, but because there's zero root, the sun comes up and it scorches that seed and kills it. And the third shore represents the one who hears the word, hears the word, but is choked out by the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and eventually dies in unbelief is choked out by the thorns that grow up beside it. All the things of this world. Are we being choked out? See, this is the second and third soils that Hebrews 6 is referring to. These are the people that go back to the flesh rather than surrender and abide in Jesus. They never experience genuine faith. Another text of Scripture is Matthew chapter 7. It's on the screen. This is Jesus talking at the final judgment day, saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will, who does is a key on that, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Sounds like our passage. And then will I declare to him or them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness.
1: See, the heart of these individuals
0: was hard. It never genuinely surrendered to Jesus as Lord in faith. They denied his works. They denied his ways. They denied his spirit and walked in their own way rather than in God's. See, each of these five rejections are centered around rejecting the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, in fact, right in the middle of that list. It's named right in the middle. He is named right in the middle of that list in the third point. And if you look to the end of verse six, you will see the motive of their heart. And this is the second subpoint contempt with Jesus. Contempt towards Jesus, holding them up to contempt. See, the apostate is not pleased with Jesus. Not pleased with Jesus, but rather bitter towards Him. They blame Jesus. Like I know a man, really a boy, he's a, he's a boy in a man's body, that, that's done this. Walked away. Walked away from the church. Walked away from fellowship. Walked away from community. And chose to begin to study the scripture in a way that would justify his sin. That would use scripture actually to turn and say, all my sin is actually God's fault. Contempt towards Jesus. I would have contempt towards him. It's Jesus' fault that I do this. Taking no responsibility for his sin. It's horrible. Twisting the scripture and justifying his contempt towards Jesus. This is the apostate. This is what this text is talking about. The one that has never been saved. The 3rd subpoint of impossible repentance is the desire to crucify the Lord again. This individual has turned from the Holy Spirit after being, again, the five points, after being enlightened, tasted the gifts shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word, and tasted the goodness of the age to come. And because of these five, has now grown a deep scorn towards Jesus. That's what contempt means. I scorn Him. I disagree with everything that He says. So deep, it has now grown into a place of wanting to kill Him. I want to kill Jesus all over again. I hate him that much. I have contempt towards him that much that I want to crucify him. See, this individual looks at the beauty of the Holy Spirit's work and proclaims it as a work of Satan. This is what the Pharisees did, didn't they? Proclaiming the works of Jesus as the works of Satan to the point that they, they contrived this crucifixion, that they would beat him, spit on him, jeer him, Put a crown of thorns on him, mocking him, flog him, and then yell, Crucify, crucify. Church, these are not ones who are saved. They're not ones who are saved. They're the apostate. Those that have no chance of repentance because they aren't even looking for it. They have been handed over to their depraved minds. And will enter into eternal judgment, blaming and accusing Jesus eternally. Eternally. And we see this all over the script. Like another verse that just popping up, or verses that just pops up, is just the chapter of Romans 1. Take a look at it this afternoon. It's, a, it's what our world is doing. They're living the apostate life. They're hearing the words of Jesus and they're denying him and churches are becoming apostate right they're they're taking and celebrating things that the bible is clearly saying that it's sinful they're taking it and going no we should celebrate because we're loving aren't we we should celebrate and go to homosexual pride parades and celebrate this we should drive people to the abortion clinic we should do this because that is loving it's not loving It's actually hating the person. It's driving them to hell. It's evil. And our churches, even here in North Vancouver, are accepting these things. Raising a rainbow flag, not for Noah. It's evil. It's evil. And it's everywhere. It's the apostate. It's in our school system, which is not shocking and it shouldn't shock us. But when it enters the church, it's dangerous. And we need to, as a body, speak against it. So if you read this text again this week or sometime in the future, and are devastated over your sin, and Satan is trying to use it to discourage you, That you are this person, you are the apostate. Look at you. And you're guilt ridden, and and angry at what you're doing, and in your sin, and are broken over it towards God. It's not you. It's not you. Because you're broken towards God. Those are the key words in that sentence. And then you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Surrender to him. Confess your sin. And then receive his forgiveness. And abide, persevere in the faith. Loving Jesus for all that he has done in his saving salvation. In other words, hold on to your faith and work it out with fear and trembling because we worship a holy God one that is impossible for him to lie. And this is our last point. Faith and works must connect. Faith and works must connect. This parable found in verse 7 and 8 is here for a reason. It's here for a reason after such a hard text in verses 4 through 6. And then this author gives us this beautiful parable. Simply, It's works without faith in Jesus cannot save you. Works without Jesus cannot save you. Also, faith without works is dead. The two must connect. And this is how we can be assured of our faith and work in Jesus by the fruit of our lives. Take a look at the verses again. In verse 7 through 8, it says, For lamb that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Please notice that the land is you. The land is you in this parable. Every one of you. Whether you're a Christian or you're not, the land is you. Now, all people in some way drink the rain, don't we? Like, there's two types of land here in this parable. There's one that drinks it and produces this amazing crop, and then there's another land that drinks it and produces thorns and thistles. So what is this parable speaking of? Well, the rain is the blessings of God. This is the common grace that all men, all men, meaning man and woman, receive. We receive common grace from Jesus. Every time you breathe in, you receive common grace. You receive the grace of Jesus Christ because he could take your breath away instantly.
1: So this is the land,
0: and we are the land. We receive the rain, the blessing of God, the common grace of God. So I guess the question is what are you going to do with that blessing that you receive what are you going to do with the grace that you've been given what are you going to do with the message of jesus christ the one that we sing about the one that came to save you as we've seen in hebrews all the way through especially chapter two the beautiful gospel proclaimed that it is jesus it's all jesus he came from the heavens down into the realm of death to pay for our sin penalty, to call us now brothers when we confess and believe upon Him for salvation. That now undergirds us empowers us to live for eternal life, to live for Him. Remember that whole diagram that I had for you? It's a beautiful diagram. This is Hebrews 2. Now we're into this harder, mature text of Scripture. Don't forget Hebrews 2. The beauty of the gospel. That Jesus, it is all Jesus. It is His grace upon the land that saves us. May we never forget that amazing grace. And that we would have faith in it. And that we would work it out. And this is that first land. See, one land drinks it up and works to provide the love to To love those around that they too might be nourished by the crop of fruit and vegetation produced. That's the first land. It produces a fruitful crop of vegetation that actually serves other people around you. And the other land drinks the rain but desires only to keep it for themselves. Ignoring the vegetation that grows is only harmful to those around them growing thorns and thistles not even realizing it not helping those around but actually harming those that come onto that land see the question I want to leave you with questions that I want to leave you with are you going to be the land that thanks the Lord for the provision to honor and glorify Him and love others or are you going to be the land that lives and uses what the Lord provides for your own gain blaspheming his name and gifts for your kingdom's sake. You're receiving the words, the blessing of the Holy Spirit and you're blaspheming him by not following him. It's a hard word and this is a church that is that, that the author is constantly pointing back and reminding them don't leave what you believed upon. Don't go back to ritual and ceremony. Don't go back to Judaism. Jesus is the one that came, that lived for you a perfect life that you cannot live. That died for you as a sacrificial lamb. And that rose again giving us great hope and assurance of our salvation. If indeed we follow him. That perseverance of the saints is incredibly important here. And that's what I don't want you to miss. Colossians chapter 1, 21 to 23. We're going to skip those, that order of slides there, Dries. It says this, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, you're living contrary to Jesus, doing evil deeds, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you now holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed perseverance of the saints you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I Paul became a minister All creation under heaven has heard the gospel. It's the rain on the land. What are you going to do with the beauty of Jesus Christ? It's time to surrender to him. I'm going to close with John Piper's quote on this text. It says this, This text is a warning to us not to assume that we are secure when our lives have some religious experiences but no growing fruit and the reason for showing us this serious situation is so that we will flee from it and move to solid ground and lasting joy you see there are only two options live for Jesus or live for you there's really only two options let's choose to live for Jesus Jesus we thank you for your word We thank you for your exhortation and your challenge on us this morning. That we with fear and trembling will work out our salvation as you've called us to. That we will maybe confess some of the sin in our own hearts that we've been longing for and and actually running towards. That we will put that to the side, that we'll stop being a slave of unrighteousness, but that we'll be a slave of righteousness, that we'll be a slave of yours, that we'll be a servant of yours, a bond servant of yours, that we'll surrender to you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, Lord, that we will confess you as Lord and actually live that out that we'll not just be words that we say out of our mouth, that we'll, but that we'll believe it in our heart with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, and it will be evident to those around because they're gleaning from the, the, the fruit of our lives. Now we'll be faithful, Jesus, from this day forward. For you are a God and we are not. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.